and welcome back to Bitching About the Mabinogion. We're starting a new story today, another Arthurian one with ties to the Anglo-French tradition. This one's name is Peredir, son of Evrog. Earl Evrog held an earldom in the north, and he had seven sons. Evrog made his living not so much from his land, but from tournaments and battles and wars. And as happens to those who follow battle, he was killed, himself and his six sons, and his seventh son was called Peredir. He was the youngest of his seven sons. He was not old enough to go to war or battle. Had he been, he would have been killed as his father and brothers were killed. His mother was a wise and clever woman. She thought hard about her son and his territory, and decided to flee with the boy to wasteland and wilderness, leaving behind the inhabited regions. She took no one with her save women and children, and meek, mild men who could not and would not fight or wage war. In the boy's hearing, no one dared mention horses or weapons in case he set his heart on them, and every day the boy would go to the long forest to play and throw holly darts. One day, Peredir saw a herd of goats that belonged to his mother, and two hinds near the goats. The boy stood and marvelled to see those two without horns, while all the others had horns, and he assumed the two had been missing for a long time, and because of that they had lost their horns. With strength and speed he drove the hinds along with the goats into a building for the goats at the far end of the forest. He returned home. "'Mother,' he said, "'I saw a strange thing over there. Two of your goats gone wild, and they have lost their horns because they have been running wild for so long under the trees.' and no one had more trouble than I had driving them inside. Then everyone got up and went to look, and when they saw the hinds, they were greatly amazed that anyone had the strength or speed to catch them. This is deer, by the way, in case you're not catching that word. Hinds, as in H-I-N-D-S. One day, they saw three knights coming along the bridle path by the side of the forest. Who were they but Gwalchmai, son of Guyar? and Gwyr son of Gwistel, and Owain son of Urien, and Owain bringing up the rear, pursuing the knight who had shared out the apples in Arthur's court, Gwalchmai, that is. Mother, said Peredir, what are those over there? Angels, my son, she said. I will go and be an angel with them, said Peredir, and he went to the path to meet the knights. Tell me, friend, said Owain, did you see a knight passing here either today or yesterday? I don't know what a knight is, he replied. The same as myself, said Owain. If you will tell me what I ask you, then I'll tell you what you want to know. I will, gladly, said Owain. What is that, he said, pointing to the saddle. A saddle, said Owain. Peredir asked what everything was and what it was intended for and how it was used. Owain told him in detail what everything was and how it was used. "'Continue on your way,' said Peredir. "'I have seen what you are asking about, and I will follow you as a knight immediately.' Then Peredir returned to his mother in the household. Owain seems like much less of a dick in this story than he was in his own story. You know, just patiently talking to this local kid. Can you imagine, like, rocking up and being like, "'Hey, kid, did anyone ride by here?' And the kid's like... Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you if you answer some questions. You're like, okay, fine. The kid's like, what's that? It's my saddle. What's it for? What's that? It's my reins. What's it for? 
Can you imagine? But anyway, the story's about Peredia, so we'll pretend he's not annoying. Peredia returned to his mother in the household. Mother, he said, those over there are not angels, but knights. Then she fell into a dead faint. But Peredia went over to where the horses were that carried firewood for them, and brought food and drink from inhabited regions to the wilderness. And he took a bony, dapple-grey nag, the strongest in his opinion, and he pressed a pannier on it as a saddle, and went back to his mother. With that the countess recovered from her faint. So, she said, are you wanting to set off? I am, he said. Wait for words of advice from me before you go. Then speak quickly, he said. I will wait. Go to Arthur's court, she said, where you will find the best men and the most generous and the most brave. Wherever you see a church, chant the Our Father to it. If you see food and drink, if you are in need of it and no one has the courtesy or goodness to offer it to you, help yourself. If you hear a scream, go towards it, and a woman's scream above any other scream in the world. If you see a fair jewel, take it and give it to someone else, and because of that you will be praised. If you see a beautiful lady... Okay, the phrasing here is awkward as fuck. I will explain in a second. If you see a beautiful lady, make love to her even though she does not want you. It will make you a better and braver man than before. Now, we do not mean make love as in have sex with. We mean make love as in woo, as in express admiration for and serve and so on. We're talking courtly love, chivalrous love. It has. It is not sex. It is not saying if you see a beautiful woman, rape her and you'll be a better person. That's not what this is saying. I want that to be completely clear. Okay? Peredir imitated with twisted branches all the horse trappings he had seen. He set off with a fistful of sharp-pointed darts in his hand. And for two nights and two days he travelled wasteland and wilderness without food and without drink. Then he came to a great desolate forest, and far into the forest he could see a clearing of open ground, and in the clearing he could see a pavilion, and under the impression that it was a church he chanted the Our Father to the pavilion. And he approached the pavilion. The entrance to the pavilion was open, and there was a golden chair near the door, and a beautiful auburn-haired maiden sitting in the chair with a frontlet of gold on her forehead, and sparkling stones in the frontlet, and a thick gold ring on her hand. Peredir dismounted and went inside. The maiden made him welcome and greeted him. At the far end of the pavilion he could see a table and two flagons full of wine, and two loaves of white bread, and chops of the flesh of suckling pigs. My mother, said Peredir, told me that wherever I saw food and drink to take it. Then go, Lord, to the table, she said, and God's welcome to you. Peredir went to the table, and he took half the food and drink for himself, and left the other half for the maiden. And when he had finished eating, he got up and went to the maiden. My mother, he said, told me to take a fair jewel wherever I saw one. Then take it, friend, she said. I certainly won't begrudge it to you. Peredir took the ring, and he went down on his knee and kissed the maiden, and he took his horse and set off. After that, the knight who owned the pavilion arrived. He was the proud one of the clearing, that's with capital letters, just so you know, and he saw the horse's tracks. 
Tell me, he said to the maiden, who has been here since I left? An odd-looking man, Lord, she said, and she described Peredia's appearance and manner. Tell me, he said, has he been with you? No, he has not, by my faith, she said. By my faith, I don't believe you, and until I find him to avenge my anger and shame, you shall not stay two nights in one and the same place. And the knight got up to go and look for Peredir. Meanwhile, Peredir continued his journey to Arthur's court. And before he arrived at Arthur's court, another knight came to the court, and gave a thick gold ring to a man at the gate to hold his horse. And he himself proceeded into the hall where Arthur and his retinue were, and Gwenhuvar and her maidens, and a chamberlain serving Gwenhuvar from a goblet. And the knight grabbed the goblet from Gwenhuvar's hand, and poured the drink that was in it over her face and breast, and gave Gwenhuvar a great clout on the ear. There's a footnote here, and I am deeply curious. The footnote compares this action to various other bits of Celtic mythology, and also notes that according to Welsh law, to strike a blow to the queen or snatch something from her hand is a form of legal insult. So this man has blatantly, officially, formally, legally insulted her. If there is anyone, said the knight, who wants to fight with me for this goblet and avenge this insult to Gwenovar, let him follow me to the meadow and I'll wait for him there. And the knight took his horse and made for the meadow. Then everyone hung his head for fear of being asked to avenge the insult to Gwenovar, and they assumed that no one would commit such a crime as that unless he possessed strength and power or magic and enchantment so that no one could wreak vengeance on him. With that, Peredir comes into the hall on a bony, dapple-grey nag with its untidy, slovenly trappings. And Kai is standing in the middle of the hall floor. "'Tell me, you tall man over there,' said Peredir, "'where is Arthur?' "'What do you want with Arthur?' said Kai. "'My mother told me to come to Arthur to be ordained a knight.' "'By my faith,' said Kai, "'your horse and weapons are too untidy.' Then the retinue notices him and they begin to make fun of him and throw sticks at him, and they are glad that someone like him has arrived so that the other incident can be forgotten. Then the dwarf comes in, who had come a year earlier to Arthur's court, he and his she-dwarf, to seek Arthur's hospitality, which they received. But apart from that, they had not spoken a word to anyone for the whole year. When the dwarf sees Peredir, Ah, he said, God's welcome to you, fair Peredir, son of Evrog, chief of warriors and flower of knights. "'God knows, lad,' said Kai. "'That's bad behaviour to say dumb for a year in Arthur's court "'with your choice of men with whom to talk and drink, "'and to call such a man as this "'in the presence of the Emperor and his retinue, "'chief of warriors and the flower of knights.' "'He gives him a clout on the ear "'until he falls headlong to the floor in a dead faint. "'Then the she-dwarf comes. "'Ah,' she said, "'God's welcome to you, fair Peredir, son of Evrog, "'flower of warriors and candle of knights.' "'Well, girl,' said Kai, "'that's bad behaviour to stay dumb for a year in Arthur's court "'without saying a word to anyone, "'and today to call such a man as this "'in the presence of Arthur and his warriors, "'flower of warriors and candle of knights.' "'And he kicks her until she's in a dead faint. "'Gotta say, in all these stories, "'Kai really is not a nice guy. "'Like, all of these stories, "'Kai is just this ill-tempered, grumpy bastard.' "'Tall man,' said Peredir then, "'tell me, where is Arthur?' 
Be quiet, said Kai. Go after the knight who left here for the meadow and take the goblet from him, and overthrow him, and take his horse and weapons. And after that you will be ordained a knight. Tall man, he said, I will do just that. And he turns his horse's head and goes out to the meadow. And when he arrives, the knight is riding his horse in the meadow, great his pride and his power and prowess. So just a quick note before we get to the fight. You've probably noticed that we switched to present tense. This is a thing that happens. I find it quite cool. When we're in particularly tense or, or interesting moments, sometimes there'll be a switch to present tense to give that story section more intensity, more urgency. I think it's great. Tell me, said the knight, did you see anyone from the court coming after me? The tall man who was there, Peredia said, told me to overthrow you and take the goblet and the horse and the weapons for myself. Quiet, said the knight. Go back to the court and in my name ask Arthur to come to fight with me, either he or someone else, and unless he comes quickly I will not wait for him. By my faith, said Peredia, you choose. Whether it is with or without your consent, I will take the horse and the weapons and the goblet. And then the knight attacks him angrily and strikes him a powerful and painful blow with the butt of his spear between shoulder and neck. Young man, said Peredia, that is not how my mother's servants would play with me. I will play with you like this. And he aims a sharp pointed dart at him and hits him in the eye so that the dart comes out through the nape of his neck and he falls stone dead to the ground. Meanwhile, God knows, says a wine son of Urien to Kai, you behave badly towards that foolish man you sent after the knight, and one of two things has happened. Either he has been overthrown or killed. If he has been overthrown, the knight will consider him a nobleman, and Arthur and his warriors will be eternally disgraced. If he has been killed, there will still be disgrace, but more than that, it will have been your fault, and I will lose all face unless I go and find out what has happened to him. Then Owain made his way to the meadow. And when he arrived, Peredia was dragging the man behind him along the meadow. Lord, said Owain, wait. I will remove the armour. This iron tunic will never come off, said Peredia. It is part of him. Then Owain removed the armour and the clothing. Here you are, friend, he said. Now you have a horse and armour that are better than those you had. Take them gladly and come with me to Arthur and you will be ordained a knight. May I lose all face if I go, said Peredir. But take the goblet from me to Gwenvovar, and tell Arthur that wherever I go I will be his man, and if I can be of use to him and serve him I will do so, and tell him that I will never set foot in his court until I confront the tall man who is there, and avenge the insult to the dwarf and the she-dwarf who greeted me. Then Owain made his way to the court, and told the story to Arthur and Gwenvovar and each one of the retinue, and of the threat to Kai. So Peredia here has established himself as utterly ignorant, but nevertheless a prodigy. There is no doubt in anyone's mind at this point that he is meant for great things. And Kai has already pissed him off, because that's Kai's main function in these stories, pissing people off. Peredia went on his way, and as he was travelling, he met a knight. "'Where do you come from?' said the knight. I come from Arthur's court, he said. Are you Arthur's man? I am, by my faith, he said. A fine place to acknowledge Arthur. Why, said Peredir, 
I will tell you why, he said. I have always pillaged and plundered from Arthur, and I have killed every one of his men whom I have met. Without further delay, they attacked each other. It was not long before Peredia struck him so that he was over his horse's crupper to the ground. The knight asked for mercy. You shall have mercy, said Peredia, if you swear that you will go to Arthur's court and tell Arthur that it was I who overthrew you in service and honour to him, and tell him that I will never set foot in his court until I confront the tall man who is there and avenge the insults of the dwarf and she-dwarf who created me. The knight, having promised that, set off for Arthur's court. He told his story in full, and of the threat to Kai. Peredir went on his way, and that same week he met sixteen knights, and he overthrew each one, and they made their way to Arthur's court with the same tale as the first knight he overthrew, and the same threat to Kai. And Kai was reprimanded by Arthur and the retinue, and he was worried on account of that. Peredir set off, and finally he came to a great desolate forest, and at the edge of the forest was a lake, and on the other side of the lake was a large court and a fine fortress around it. And on the shore of the lake there was a grey-haired man sitting on a cushion of brocaded silk and wearing a garment of brocaded silk, and young lads fishing in a small boat on the lake. As the grey-haired man saw Peredir approaching, he got up and made for the court, and the man was lame. Peredir too made for the court, and the gate was open, and he came into the hall. And when he entered, the grey-haired man was sitting on a cushion of brocaded silk, and there was a big blazing fire starting to burn. And a number of the retinue got up to meet Peredir, and helped him to dismount and took off his armour. And the man patted the end of the cushion with his hand, and asked the squire to come and sit on the cushion. And they sat together and talked. And when it was time, they set up tables and went to eat, and he was put to sit and eat next to the man. When they had finished eating, the man asked Peredir if he knew how to strike well with a sword. "'I suppose,' said Peredir, "'that if I were taught, then I would know.' "'If you know how to play with the stick and shield,' he replied, "'you would know how to strike with the sword.' The grey-haired man had two sons, a yellow-haired lad and an auburn-haired lad. "'Get up, lads,' he said, "'to play with the sticks and the shields.' The lads went to play." "'Tell me, friend,' said the man, "'which of the lads plays better?' "'I suspect,' said Peredir, "'that the yellow-haired lad could have drawn blood long ago "'from the auburn-haired lad if he had wanted to.' "'Friend, take the stick and shield from the auburn-haired lad "'and draw blood from the yellow-haired lad if you can.' "'Peredir got up and took the stick and shield "'and struck the yellow-haired lad until his eyebrow was down over his eye "'and the blood was streaming. "'Well, friend,' said the man, Come and sit down now. You will be the best swordsman in this island. And I am your uncle, your mother's brother. And you will stay with me for a while, learning manners and etiquette. Forget now your mother's words. I will be your teacher and make you a knight. From now on, this is what you must do. If you see something that you think is strange, do not ask about it unless someone is courteous enough to explain it to you. It will not be your fault, but mine, since I am your teacher." and they received every kind of honour and service, and when it was time, they went to sleep. As soon as it was daybreak, Peredir got up and took his horse, and with his uncle's permission he departed. He came to a great forest, and at the far end of the forest he came to a level meadow, and beyond the meadow he could see a great fortress and a beautiful court. Peredir made for the court, and he found the door open and made for the hall. And when he entered, there was a handsome grey-haired man sitting to one side of the hall, with many young men around him. 
and everyone got up to meet the squire, by which we mean Peredi, he, he's not been made a knight, so he's still a squire. And the courtesy and service he received were excellent. He was placed to sit next to the nobleman who owned the court, and they talked. And when it was time to go and eat, he was placed to sit and eat next to the nobleman. And when they had finished eating and drinking, for as long as it pleased them, the nobleman asked him if he knew how to strike with a sword. If I were taught, said Peredia, then I'm sure I would know. There was a huge iron column in the hall floor, a warrior's embrace and circumference. Wow, what an evocative description of its size. Take that sword, said the man to Peredia, and strike that iron column. Peredia got up and struck the column so that it was in two pieces, and the sword in two pieces. Put the pieces together and join them. Peredia put the pieces together, and they became one as before. And he struck the second time, so that the column broke into two pieces, and the sword into two pieces. And as before, they became one. And he struck the third time, so that the column broke into two pieces, and the sword into two pieces. Put them together and join them. Peredia placed them together the third time, but neither the column nor the sword could be joined. Well, lad, he said, go and sit down, and God's blessing on you. You are the best swordsman in the kingdom. You have gained two-thirds of your strength, and the third is still to come. And when you have gained it all, you will surrender to no one. And I am your uncle, your mother's brother, brother of the man whose court you were in last night. Peredia sat down next to his uncle, and they talked. Suddenly, he could see two lads entering the hall, and from the hall they proceeded to a chamber, carrying a spear of huge proportions, with three streams of blood running from its socket to the floor. When everyone saw the lads coming in this way, they all began weeping and wailing so that it was not easy for anyone to endure it. Yet the man did not interrupt his conversation with Peredia. The man did not explain to Peredia what that was, nor did Peredia ask him about it. After a short silence, suddenly two maidens entered with a large salver between them, and a man's head on the salver, and much blood around the head. And then they all shrieked and wailed so that it was not easy for anyone to stay in the same building. At last they stopped, and remained sitting as long as it pleased them, and drank. After that, a chamber was prepared for Peredia, and they went to sleep. Early the next day, Peredia got up, and with his uncle's permission he set off. From there he came to a forest, and deep inside the forest he could hear crying. He went to where the crying was coming from. When he arrived, he saw a beautiful auburn-haired woman and a saddled horse standing beside her, a man's corpse between the woman's hands. And as she tried to place the corpse in the saddle, the corpse would fall to the ground, and then she would give a cry. "'Tell me, sister,' he said, "'why are you crying?' "'Alas, accursed Peredir,' she said, "'little relief have you ever brought me from my misery.' "'Why should I be accursed?' he said. "'Because you are the cause of your mother's death.' For when you set off against her will, a shooting pain leapt up within her, and she died of it. And you were accursed because you were the cause of her death. And the dwarf and she-dwarf you saw in Arthur's court, that was the dwarf of your father and mother. And I am a foster-sister of yours, and this is my husband, killed by the knight who was in the forest. And do not go near him in case you are killed too. You are wrong, sister, he said, to blame me. And because I have stayed with you as long as I have, I will scarcely defeat the knight. And were I to stay longer, I would never overcome him. 
And as for you, stop your crying now, for help is closer than before. And I will bury the man, and go with you to where the night is, and if I can get revenge, I will do so. After burying the man, they came to where the knight was riding his horse in the clearing. At once the knight asked Peredia where he came from. I come from Arthur's court. Are you Arthur's man? I am, by my faith. A fine place for you to acknowledge Arthur. Without further delay, they attacked each other, and there and then Peredia overthrew the knight. The knight asked for mercy. You shall have mercy on condition that you take this woman as the wife, and treat her as well as you have treated other women, since you killed her husband for no reason, and proceed to Arthur's court, and tell him that it was I who overthrew you in service and honour to Arthur, and tell him that I will not set foot in his court until I confront the tall man who was there, to avenge the insult to the dwarf and the she-dwarf who greeted me. And Peredia accepted his assurance on that. So a quick side note. It seems a bit shitty here to be like, I know, this guy killed your husband, I will go defeat him and make him marry you. But the trick here is that a woman without uh, a husband or a brother or whatever to protect her and provide her with place to live and a station in life is very, very stuck. So he's actually providing for his foster sister here. He's granting her, he's making sure she has a household The knight sat the woman properly on a horse beside him, and came to Arthur's court, and told Arthur of his adventure, and of the threat to Kai. And Kai was reprimanded by Arthur and the household for having driven away from Arthur's court a lad as good as Peredir. The squire will never come to the court, said Awine, nor will Kai venture out. By my faith, said Arthur, I will search the wastelands of the island of Britain until I find him, and then let them do their worst to each other. Meanwhile, Peredia went on his way and came to a great desolate forest. He could see neither the tracks of men nor herds in the forest, only thickets and vegetation. And when he comes to the far end of the forest, he can see a great ivy-covered fortress with many strong towers, and near the gate the vegetation is taller than elsewhere. Suddenly a lean lad with reddish-yellow hair appears on the battlement above him. "'Take your choice, lord,' he said. Either I shall open the gate for you, or I shall tell the man in charge that you are in the gateway. Say that I am here, and if he wants me to enter, I will. The lad returned quickly and opened the gate for Peredir, and he proceeded into the hall. And when he came into the hall, he could see eighteen lean, red-headed lads, of the same height and the same appearance and the same age and the same dress as the lad who had opened the gate for him. Wow! and their manners and their service were excellent. They helped him to dismount, and took off his armour, and they sat and talked. Suddenly five maidens came into the hall from a chamber. As for the principal maiden among them, he was sure that he had never seen such a beautiful sight. She wore an old dress of tattered, brocaded silk that had once been good. Where her flesh could be seen through it, it was whiter than the flowers of the whitest crystal. Her hair and her eyebrows were blacker than jet, Two tiny red spots in her cheeks, redder than the reddest thing. Really? You can't come up with, like, any comparison? Just redder than the reddest thing. The maiden greeted Peredir and embraced him and sat down next to him. Not long after that, he saw two nuns entering, 
one carrying a flagon full of wine and the other six loaves of bread. Lady, they said, God knows, tonight the convent over there has only this amount again of food and drink. Then they went to eat. But Edir saw that the maiden wanted to give him more of the food and drink than anyone else. Sister, he said, I will share out the food and drink. No, friend, she said. Shame on my beard, he said, if I don't. Peredia took the bread and shared it equally among everyone, and likewise with the drink, to the cupful. When the meal was finished, I would be glad, said Peredia, if I could have a comfortable place to sleep. A room was prepared for him, and Peredia went to sleep. Sister, said the lads to the maiden, this is what we advise. Seriously, there are eighteen of these guys all the same age, are they? Are they, I don't even know what the word is for eighteen toplets. Like, what the hell? But anyway. Sister, said the lads to the maiden, this is what we advise. What is that, she said. Go to the squire in the chamber nearby, and offer yourself to him however he wants, either as his wife or as his mistress. That, she said, is something which is not proper. I, who have never been with a man, offering myself to him before he courts me. I cannot do that on any account. By our confession to God, they said, unless you do that, we will leave you here to your enemies. With that, the maiden got up in tears and went straight to the chamber. And with the noise of the door opening, Peredia woke up, and the maiden had tears running down her cheeks. Tell me, sister, said Peredia, why are you crying? I will tell you, lord, she said. My father owned this court along with the best earldom in the world. Now the son of another earl was asking my father for me. I would not go to him of my own free will. My father would not give me against my will to him or to anyone else. And my father had no other children but me. And after my father died, the realm fell into my hands. I was then even less eager to have the man than before. So what he did was to wage war against me and overcome my realm apart from this one house. And because the men you saw are so brave, they are my foster brothers. Okay, better than being eighteen tuplets, but again... How do you end up with 18 foster brothers who all look the same? Like, your parents must have had very specific characteristics for the people that they accepted as foster kids. Because the men you saw are so brave and the house is so strong, we could never be overpowered as long as food and drink lasted. And now they have run out, were it not for the nuns you saw feeding us, as they are free to travel through the land and the realm. But now they too have neither food nor drink and no later than tomorrow the earl and all his might will descend on this place. If he takes me, my fate will be no better than if I were given to his stable, lads. So I come to offer myself to you, lord, in whatever way you please, in exchange for helping us to escape or else defending us here. Go to sleep, sister, he said, and I will not leave you without doing one or the other. The maiden left and went to sleep. Early the next day the maiden got up and went to Peredia and greeted him. God be good to you, friend, he said. Do you have any news? None but good news, lord, as long as you're well. But that the earl and all his might have descended on the house. No one has ever seen a place with more pavilions or knights calling on each other to fight. I wouldn't call that good news. Very well, said Peredir. Prepare my horse and I will get up. They prepared his horse for him, and he got up and made for the meadow, 
and when he arrived a knight was riding his horse, having raised the signal for combat. Peredia threw him over his horse's crupper to the ground, and he threw many that day. And in the afternoon, towards the end of the day, an exceptional knight came to fight him, and Peredia overthrew him too. He asked for mercy. "'Who are you, then?' said Peredia. "'In truth,' he said, "'the head of the earl's retinue. "'How much of the countess's realm do you own?' "'In truth,' he said, "'a third. "'Very well,' said Peredia. "'Tonight in her court return a third of her realm to her in full, "'together with all the profit you have made from it, "'and food and drink for a hundred men, "'and horses and weapons for them, "'and you will be her prisoner, "'but you shall not lose your life.' "'That was done immediately.' The maiden was joyously happy that night, a third of her realm hers, and plenty of horses and weapons and food and drink in her court. They rested for as long as it pleased them, and then went to sleep. Early the next day, Peredia made for the meadow, and overthrew large numbers that day. And at the end of the day, an exceptional, arrogant knight came along, and Peredia overthrew him too. And he asked for mercy. "'Who are you, then?' said Peredia. "'The court steward,' he said. "'How much of the maiden's realm do you own?' "'A third, he said. "'Then give a third of her realm back to the maiden, "'and all the profit you have made from it, "'and food and drink for two hundred men, "'and horses and weapons for them, "'and you will be her prisoner.' "'That was done immediately. "'And the third day Peredia came to the meadow, "'and he overthrew more that day than on any other day. "'And finally the earl came to fight him, "'and Peredia threw him to the ground. "'And the earl asked for mercy.' "'Who are you, then?' said Peredia. "'I will not conceal myself,' he said. "'I am the earl.' "'Very well,' he said. "'Then give the whole of her earldom back to the maiden, "'and also your earldom, too, "'and food and drink and horses and weapons for three hundred men, "'and you yourself will be under her authority.' "'And so for three weeks Peredia arranged tribute and submission to the maiden. "'And when he had settled and secured her in her realm, "'With your permission,' said Peredia, "'I shall be on my way.' "'Brother, is that what you want?' "'Yes, by my faith. "'And if I did not love you, I would have left long ago.' "'Friend,' she said, "'who are you, then?' "'Peredia, son of Evrog, from the north. "'And if you are ever in distress or danger, let me know, "'and I will defend you if I can.' "'Then Peredia set off, "'and far from there he was met by a lady rider "'on a lean, sweaty horse. "'She greeted the knight. "'Where do you come from, sister?' said Peredia. She explained her situation and the reason for the journey. She was the wife of the Proud One of the Clearing. If you recall from earlier, the Proud One of the Clearing was the guy with the pavilion where Peredia showed up looking weird and ate half the food and took the lady's ring and then went off and the knight came back and was like, so what just happened? And she's like, oh, a weird guy showed up and ate half the food and took my ring and the knight's like, I reckon you slept with him. Back to the story. "'Well,' said Peredia, "'I am the knight on whose account you have suffered this distress, "'and whoever brought this upon you will be sorry.' "'And with that a knight approaches, "'asking Peredia if he had seen such a knight as he was after. "'Be silent,' said Peredia. "'I am the one you are after, "'and by my faith the maiden is innocent on my account.' "'But they fought each other, "'and Peredia overthrew the knight. "'He asked for mercy. "'You shall have mercy.' by going back the way you came to let it be known that the girl has been found innocent, and that as recompense for the insult I overthrew you. The knight promised to do that, and Peredia went on his way. 
On a mountain not far from him he could see a castle, and he made for the castle and hammered on the door with his spear. Then, behold, a handsome, auburn-haired lad opening the door, in stature and strength a warrior, but in age a boy. When Peredir came into the hall, there was a large, handsome woman sitting in a chair, and numerous handmaidens about her, and the good lady made him welcome. And when it was time to go to eat, they went. And after eating, you would do well, lord, said the lady, to go elsewhere to sleep. Can't I sleep here? There are nine witches here, friend, she said, together with their father and mother. They are the witches of Kailoil, and by daybreak we shall be no nearer to making our escape than to being killed, and they have taken over and laid waste the land, except for this one house. Well, said Peredir, here is where I want to be tonight, and if there is trouble and I can be of use, I will. I shall certainly do no harm. They went to sleep. And at dawn Peredir heard a scream. He got up quickly, in his shirt and trousers, with his sword about his neck, and out he went. And when he arrived, a witch was grabbing hold of the watchman, and he was screaming. Peredir attacked the witch, and struck her on the head with a sword, until her helmet and mail cap spread out like a dish on her head. Sorry, she's wearing a helmet? Your mercy, fair Peredir, son of Evrog, and the mercy of God. How did you know, witch, that I am Peredir? It was fated and foretold that I would suffer grief at your hands, and that you would receive a horse and weapons from me, and you will stay with me for a while as I teach you how to ride your horse and handle your weapons. This is how I will show you mercy, he replied. Give your word that you will never do harm again to this countess's land. Peredia took assurance to that effect, and with the countess's permission he set off at the witch to the witch's court, and there he stayed for three successive weeks. Then Peredir chose his horse and his weapons and went on his way. At the close of day he came to a valley, and at the far end of the valley he came to a hermit's cell, and the hermit welcomed him, and he stayed there that night. In our next episode, all of those knights Peredir has been sending back to Arthur's court will finally catch up with him, in the form of Arthur and Kai and the general retinue showing up to confront him and fight with him. But that, my friends, will wait till next week. Bitching About the Mabinogion is told by Gwen Verch David and produced by Amanda Martell. Take care, and thanks for listening.